Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Real Life Oscar Challenge. Lars is telling me to move quickly. <laughs> uh, I'm your host, Michael Levito, as always. Joining me are Lars Emerson. That's me. And Kathleen Levito. That's me. Um, yeah. The year was 2003. It was the year the United States invaded Iraq. It was the year the White Stripes released their seminal album, Elephant. Most importantly, it was the year I turned nine, Lars turned eight, and Kathleen turned seven. And it was the year that five movies were nominated for Best Picture. Those movies were The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King, Lost in Translation, Master and Command of the Far Side of the World, Mystic River, and Seabiscuit. You look confused when I said it was 2003. Yeah, because we were talking about 2008 movies in the car. Oh, yeah. And for some reason I was like, I don't remember being on 2007, but I guess we are. But now I have to wait even longer to watch Benjamin Button. Yeah, it's, it's down Thank a lot. God. We'll watch a lot of good movies in between that. Um, but let's talk about movies we did watch. Uh, let's start with The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King, directed by Peter Jackson. Uh, written by Fran Walsh, Philippa Boynes, and Peter Jackson, based on the novel The Return of the King by J.R.R. Tolkien, starring Elijah Wood, Ian McKellen, Liv Tyler, Viggo Mortensen, Sean Astin, Kate Blanchett, John Reese davies Bernard Hill, Billy Boyd, Dominic Monaghan, Orlando Bloom, Hugo Weaving, Miranda Otto, David Wenham, Carl Urban, John Noble, Andy Serkis, Ian Saving Hall. time as always, Michael. Yes. <laughs> I did a lot of people. I want to give them all. They worked very hard for this record-setting movie. Um... I'll keep this the plot description short. Um, basically, it's everyone's it's Frodo and Sam's final push to destroy the ring in the fire of Mount Doom as they are misled by Smeagol, and it is the great big battle of Minas Tirith, which is sort of Sauron's army's last attempt to destroy Sevilla. Man, 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 and his civilization. Well, and Aragorn uh, is the is the is the king, and Aragorn is going to be the king. Yes, he's he's the he's the titular king. Um, all right, Lars. You ready for my hot take? Lars is, is a tight, <laughs> All right, <laughs> he's a tight twenty for this episode. All right, according to him. all right. I was a little underwhelmed. Mm-hmm. I went into this thinking like, oh, obviously, like it was time. Like the first Lord of the Rings was like amazing. Second one was like not as good, but like kicking. And it's like all building up to this one, which has been universally acclaimed as like one of the greatest movies of all time. It was like swept. It got the most Oscar nominations in history. Well, it got the most wins in history. Oh. Lala <laughs> Land technically has more nominations than this movie. As it should, by the way. I think um, all about Eve Slaw's record for most nominations. Um, and I really think this is a four and a half star movie. I don't think this is a five star movie. Because okay. I, I do think it leaves mostly because it takes about 45 minutes at the end to wrap up mm-hmm. what we've already wrapped up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, there's some, there's some good stuff. Yeah. Um, but I, like, have a lot of... Unlike the previous two movies, I have a lot of trouble, like, pointing out a specific thing I really liked. I like the ghost army. I really... They're okay. I really just think it's okay. I think the, like, intro to them is good. But I really... Like, once they appear, it's like a ten-minute sequence. Which is what I liked about it. <laughs> and it's in the middle of the... It's in the mid- like, I like the whole deal with Aragorn part and, like, how they have to negotiate. Um... I don't know that they, like, look very good. Oh, Which I know don't. this is a movie from 2003. Um, but 
I kind of like the visuals in the first one better. Like, there's mm-hmm. not other than the like massive battle at the end. There's, it, I, I feel like it's it's close, but I do not think this is like the epitome of film that so many people think it is. That's my hot take. My hot take is very similar to Lars's hot take. I don't know if it's just because like watching. I don't know if I just got like tired of the Lord of the Rings story after a while, but it just this just felt like not as magical as the other two. Hmm. And I think the first one was like, I blew my mind, so good, I loved everything about it. Second one was like cool, it was like the middle of a story, so it's kind of awkward. But this one was just kind of like, I was ready for it to be over, like no offense Lord of the Rings. Yes, it had some epic sequences, yes, but it got to a point where it was just like, oh my god, Smeagol, like, what do we plan, like... It's just like it has some like meandering. It goes on. So on, it goes and on. on and on and on. And then like Sam goes up the mountain, then he goes down the mountain, then he goes up the mountain again, and half the time it took him to go down the mountain. It's just like without the like without the forty five minute ending, I'd almost be okay with it. Yeah. Michael Levito told the best joke possible about the ending. <laughs> Which is towards the end when it because it, it well it ends quote unquote with Frodo writing the the Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. <laughs> And uh, and Sam Samwise goes, oh, you finished it. Frodo says something like, no, there's still more. And yes, there's, there's still there's like, room for there's like, more. Yeah, there's room for more. There's like 20 minutes left of the movie left. Um, here's my rebuttal though, because I've been thinking about this. Okay, what I I I I don't disagree that the ending is probably too long, but I think it's also the most important part of the movie because. Um, it makes you. It makes. It makes the. It makes people liking Frodo justifiable because, and this is not a good movie for Frodo, right? Because he, um, it, it's when the ring starts to corrupt him, and he wants to hold onto the ring. Like he almost follows it down to the fires of Mount Doom. He do. And while while he's doing that, like there are armies like for Frodo, like rallying around, like going to fight to their like certain death, just so he can destroy the ring. But what happens in the movie is that what what I like about this ending is that it could have ended like a new hope where it's like everyone gets their medals, everyone applauds, and the end is over, right? The end, that was redundant. Then it ends. But what instead what it does it, it shows how much the hobbits have changed. They go back to um, the Shire and everyone's partying, having a good time at tavern, and they're just so exhausted, staring at each other like shell shocked from what they've experienced for however long it took them to do this, right? Um, and yes, it has a happy ending for Sam, he gets married, blah, 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 but with Frodo, like, Frodo is so irreparably changed that he can't stay in the Shire, and he has to go to the Undying Lands with Gandalf and the elves. Um, and, and this idea that he, the reason why everyone is fighting for him is because he is sort of pure and committed enough to sacrifice his own well-being, sacrifice really his own happiness... And not only have to do this sort of physical act of this this long, arduous journey, but then have to recover for what's, what is assumed is going to be a long time because he's not going to die. Have to go through that entire recovery process. And he did all of this so that other people could find solace. And he did all of it so Sam could have the moment at the end where he goes, I'm finally home. And he goes in with his house with his wife and kid. And I think that's so incredibly beautiful. Um, and I th- think that... I, I, so I agree that I think this movie is, you can just very much tell with these movies that it's, 
a long story chopped up into three parts. Um, not as bad as the Hobbit movies, but certainly, you know. So I agree there is there is kind of a underwhelming element to it where it's a little... It feels like there should be like two big battles in this, but there's really only one. There's no part of it that stands out. Yeah. It's like it's not like the first or the second movie even. And I think the second movie's worse than this one, if we're being honest. Um, okay, that's not an unpopular opinion. That's obvious. <laughs> um, but right. those both have like scenes that stand out. This yeah. really didn't have that impact. I, on me. I honestly think one of the best moments in this series, cinematically, is the Battle of Helm's Deep, which is in the second. Yeah. Part. No, I, I agree. Um, um, that was a great battle. Well, and tied with Titanic and All About Eve. Okay. But this movie is the largest... It has... It's tied with Ben-Hur and Titanic for the most awards won. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. It has had the largest sweep in Oscar history. Yes. yes. It's it won all it won 11 all. categories. Yes. Yeah. Um, the other thing I would say is that I love the opening of this. It's the perfect, like, Innocence Lost moment. It is, yeah. With, I, it's, it's so well done where, it show, where it's like Smeagol's... Um, narrative and he's slowly Smeagol and Deagle he's Smeagol and Deagle he he turns into Gollum like that's so well rendered and I really like that but yeah I mean I think those are all some valid criticisms the Muma kills are cool and Legolas killing Muma kills is cool Um, so I do like all of that trying to think if there's anything else that really but yeah I guess there's nothing else that really does you're right that stands out the one like there is the whole like I yeah and there's Hmm. The, 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 there's like the plot with like the 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 throne keeper yeah yeah um, John Noble which I kind of I, I do actually kind of like it it yeah I like it too but he's such an idiot that it becomes frustrating or he's yeah. just such like an ass cause he's just clearly... but, but it's like the worst of man versus the like best of man yeah like, I, I, don't I like how he goes crazy and I love yeah. when it, like you know he catches on fire and he runs like off the edge yeah but then it zooms out and there's oh, like the right. the army attacking Minas Tirith um I'll wait for this to pass, Siren. Because um, it's just like that. That one moment is just like a smaller part of a larger thing. Um, but yeah, it's weird. Like the Shelob stuff feels like it should have happened in like a different movie, Which, right? What is the, what's the Shelob? She's the spider. Oh, I, uh, I always think that happens in the second. Right? Movie. Yeah, I, I totally thought it did. It's a very like second movie thing. To yeah. Have. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, yeah, I, yeah. So I, I, I do kind of agree, but I also think like I think it's bookended. What, what are you looking at, Elvis? He's just looking at. Loris has a piano book with Elvis on the cover, and it's dreamily gazing at me. Yeah. You are the guys that have an hour to spare here. <laughs> I'm just saying. Um. So yes, I so I agree with those, but I still like think it's bookended in a way that I think is it puts it up there with like the Ben Hur's of the world. Um. Yeah. Anyway, so as you mentioned, it did sweep. It won 11 awards, tied a record with Ben-Hur and Titanic. It won for visual effects, editing, costume design, makeup, art direction, sound mixing. Into the West, which is the song that plays over the end credits, won oh, yeah. Best Original oh, Song. That, that's weird. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't actually like that. I don't that. like that. Yeah. I don't like that one. Um, I, when, so, like, I knew this one for the original song. I originally thought it was the song that Pippin sings. Yeah. <laughs> um, when when uh, they, they go to wherever they go and they all die, but it's not. It, I, I would love it if it was. Um, also, one for original score, adapted screenplay, Peter Jackson, one for best director and one best picture. The other thing I was going to say, um, this, and, like, this feels like, like, 
like the ending it feels like the end of movies right like i don't know why like it, it just it's like it is a grand ending yeah um i agree anyway i really liked it anyway next we're moving on to lost in translation Mm-hmm. Directed by Sofia Coppola, written by Sofia Coppola, starring Bill Murray, Scarlett Johansson, G- Giovanni Ribisi, Anna Faris, and Fumihiro Hayashi. Uh, Lost in Translation is a story of two Americans, sort of stranded in a sense in modern day, modern day contemporary Tokyo. Um, you have Bill Murray, who is an actor who is, it's implied, big in like the 70s or 80s or whatever, um, and who is shooting a bunch of whiskey ads there. And you have Scarlett Johansson's character. Who is this, like, recent graduate, <laughs> God bless you, who is married to Giovanni Ribisi's character, who's, like, this rock and roll photographer. And she just kind of followed him to Japan because she didn't really have anything else to do. Um, they meet in their, they're staying in the same hotel. I think it's, like, the Park Hyatt, or it's based on the Park Hyatt. Um, and they, they, they forge this sort of romantic, but not sort of, but never consummated relationship. Um... This was your first time seeing this movie, Kathleen. Yeah. What did you think? It was fine. I think looking back on it, I think of it more fondly. But I think watching it, I think that I've seen so many things like it. And I've read so many books with a similar, um, not necessarily a narrative, but a similar tone and similar messages. And um, kind of, uh, what is the word that I'm looking for? Like uncertainty. What is that word that means? Ambiguity? Yeah, and ambiguity between, like, relationships and stuff like that. Like, there's a lot of, like, I don't know. It felt very, like, J.D. Salinger in tone to me, Hmm. where there's a lot that's left hanging in the atmosphere. Um, And so it was nothing to me that, like, blew my mind. And it, um, but I, like, I think I would go back and watch it again and, like, reassess how I feel about it. But it wasn't anything to me that, like, the narrative, the themes, the tone, it was nothing that I hadn't seen before. And, I don't know, it was just kind of like, oh, look, Scarlett Johansson's, like, a pretty person, and she's falling in love with this, like, lovable guy. And, like, it is very touching, and I think it is, like, their friendship, their relationship is very sweet. And I think that it, cinematically, it's interesting. Like, the the sets and stuff are very interesting. I've never been to Tokyo, but, like, it's like they, they make it, like, a cool hit interesting looking place um but yeah that's how i felt i've like i would watch it again i think to like get another take on it but i wasn't i didn't get why i was so hyped i oh you want first no you got it i so yeah i because i i had seen this movie when i was in like high school and i was like oh like i don't think i ever really understood it when i was in high school but what i think is so good about this movie is I think it kind of revolves around like Bill Murray and his place in the cultural consciousness because um, I wrote about this in my letterbox review, but basically he like, in, if you look at like the movies start playing out in like late seventies, early eighties, it's this weird form of humor that doesn't really exist anymore where a lot, he's like, he's a comedic character, but he's, we're not really meant to laugh at him. We're meant to laugh with him. And he's kind of this like really like sexually confident, like jock. Like, if you ever seen the movie Stripes, it's, like, he plays this dude who joins the army, and, like, his whole thing is, like, he's a cut-up, he's a rebel, and, like, he's, like, wooing all, like, the female MPs, and, like, that, and all the humor derives from him being, like, a cool guy, and, like, that doesn't really exist anymore, and I feel like this movie is him doing all his, like, Bill Murray cool guy moves, but they don't really work, and they're out of context, because it's, like, he has the bit where they're, like, getting sued, you know, hibachi, 
Um, I think it's hibachi. With the pot? Yeah. When uh, she, when, shabu shabu. shabu. No, 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 not shabu shabu. It's, uh. she, like, when, they talk, when they've realized her toe is like messed up. He starts doing a bit about the toe, and it like it sort of parallels the scene in Stripes where he's like teasing one of the female characters, and it, it leads to this like off-screen sex scene. Um, and it's like in in this, it's just kind of like funny, and it's like yeah, instead of like this like great moment of like confidence and whatever, it's just kind of like a like it's just like a normal guy. And then it's like same thing like in and he he kind of becomes a point of like confusion. He just he's just confused, right? Like there's no he's never confident when he's shooting the whiskey commercial because everything is being lost in translation between the interpreter and the director. He goes on that, like, talk show and he's totally lost, right? And he's not impressing Scarlett Johansson on the talk show. He's just, like, on it. Um, And so it undercuts that kind of image. And I think that sort of context is what kind of makes it. But I also, like, I could watch Scarlett Johansson and Bill Murray just run through a Japanese arcade while My Bloody Valentine plays in the background like all day. Like I just think this is a very misty, ethereal like like just very like shoegaze. It's like it's almost like if shoegaze was like a movie. Like it's just very <laughs> like the movie. it's just very I just imagine it's just a lot of like dreamy guitars and like lots of like soft neon lights and it's it's just very like you get sort of sucked into the aesthetic. I agree. Um, I I love this movie. I, I, it's what what I like about it is that it's very quiet. Is there's actually not a lot of talking. There's not a lot of dialogue. There's, it's mostly, and that's why it feels. I was thinking about this. The, I think the film that, that reminds me the most of this is the latest Blade Runner. Yeah. No. Totally. Yes. So yes, I, agree I get the same. Yeah. It's yeah. very quiet. Mm-hmm. It's all about the visual and about the emotional. Mm-hmm. And there's actually not a lot that's like happening. Um, yeah. I, I think I think you're spot on with the Bill Murray stuff. It's kind of a film about him like getting getting old because he mm-hmm. is sort of like the idea of Bill Murray. He's kind of like a surreal like he's he's not like a real person. Like, mm. even, like, in our world, Bill Murray exists, but he's kind of, like, supernatural, like a, like a, like, out-of-this-world celebrity, but he's not just... than life. Yeah, he's, he's almost like a superhero. Mm. He's not, like, a celebrity. He's not, like, a, like, he's not, like, famous. He's just, like, this guy that everyone knows. Um, and I feel like this does a good job of, like, working with that. It's, like, we all, and he's, because he's playing himself, ostensibly. Mm. Um... And it's sort of like him coming to terms with his aging and what he, like, finds beautiful in the world. Um, And this is like... (laughs) This sounds creepy, but it's not. (laughs) This is like peak Scarlett Johansson for me. um, Where I, like, I like her in this kind of movie a lot better than I will her later in her career, if that makes sense. Fun Uh, fact, only 17. No, that's why why I prefaced it. (laughs) I like her, like, acting in, like, aesthetic. Like, her her style of acting in, like, this kind of film more than I do even as, say, like, Black Widow. It's it's more understated. Right. Which I, which I feel like works to her credit, because she is, like, conventionally not an understated person. It's like, oh my god, Scott Johansson, oh, I'm a yeah. dude, oh. Um, Wait, what? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, people are really obsessed with Scott Johansson. I don't actually get it. But I do in this. 
Well, hold on. <laughs> no, she, no, no, I, I yeah, you know what I mean. She like no, she, I get it. She comes across like personable and yeah. like like shy. The, like good. There are like movies where you're like, if there's an actor, you're like, oh, I don't, I'm not sure about them. But like, there are some movies where you see them, you're like, oh, I get why. Yes. Like yes. Raging Bull was that like that for me, like Robert De Niro, where it was like, oh, I get why people really like Robert De Niro because he's really good in Raging Bull. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I, it is so hard to say like what I'm trying to say about this movie. It's it's just, it's like, in, in, it's everything I kind of want out of a best picture, where it's like understated, mm. it's unique, um, it, and it's like serene, but also like, it like just hits straight to the core without you even noticing. Um, and, but it's also, I think it's like one of the funniest films we've watched so far. Is mm. It's, it is, it's almost like a comedy. And it's mostly like, <laughs> like subtle racism and like kind of making fun of like because the, mm. they're like the two white people in yeah. the movie well yes yeah, um, yeah. but but it's but there's a lot of moments it's like oh this is a funny situation and let's have fun together right, right. Um, that is like profoundly funny mm-hmm. um, in a serious deep way yeah. so that's why I think this is a great movie oh yeah it, it did win the Golden Globe for Best Musical or Comedy oh yeah I, well I would not consider it a comedy but I get that I mean, yeah, there are comedic elements. Yeah, like when he's on the elliptical, yeah, <laughs> so, just can't stop it. Yeah. It's like, oh, stop! Um, <laughs> but like, but like, Help. Yeah. yeah. But that's the thing I wrote about my review is that like that's that'd be like that's like a John Candy bit in the eighties. Yeah, and it's like it's like Bill Murray becoming John Candy, it was like Bill Murray becoming like the confident jock to sort of like the hapless dork. Yeah, like, and he has to deal with stuff like you know picking out a carpet for his home office and. Um, you know, talking to his wife and kids and stuff. Um, yeah. Great soundtrack, too. Um, yeah. Lost in Translation. It won Best Original Screenplay and was nominated for Best Actor, Bill Murray, Sofia Coppola, Sophia Coppola for Best Director. And won, or did not win. It was nominated for Best Picture. Um, first movie we watched, directed by a female director. All oh, right. Um, Good for us. Yes. Uh, next is Master and Commander of the Far Side of the World, uh, which is directed by Peter Weir, written by Peter Weir and John Coley, based on the series of novels by Patrick O'Brien, and starring Russell Crowe, Paul Bettany, Billy Boy, James Darcy, Chris Larkin, and Edward Woodhall. Uh, or Woodle, rather. Master and Commander is about um, the HMS Surprise, a ship captained by Captain Jack Aubrey, played by Russell Crowe, who has orders and thick blonde hair. I did not like him blonde. <laughs> oh, I think he's so... He, I'm so sexually attracted to him in this movie. It, it bothers me. Okay, it's, it's It's very confusing. Anyway. Now you know. Yeah. He, uh, he has orders to pursue a friendship called the Asheron, which is sort of like trying to get to the Pacific to... You know, Take control of the for, entire ocean. For Napoleonic reasons, during the Napoleonic Wars... And so they are in pursuit, and it's about their pursuit, and then sort of like it's it's just kind of about like the the the, the life cycle of the crew, and then the 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 sort of subtle clash in personality and opinion between Captain Aubrey and then his friend uh, Doctor Maturin, played by Paul Bettany. Um, he's a doctor of everything. He isn't. He's, he's he's a polymath. A, he's like a biologist. He's a naturalist. And a surgeon. Yes, he's like a biologist. He does. He studies 
living things. <laughs> Unless they die on his his, his table. Um, yes, this movie. I liked this movie. Oh, um, right. Yeah, no. I, so here, I, I, I love the way this movie looked. I love the cinematography. It won for cinematography. Like, I think it, it uses every inch of the ship. Um, and really sort of explores all the nooks and crannies. And the effects are super good. Yes, the yes. effects are really good. Like, you don't... You're, you're yeah. taken right there, and there's never... Like, The Lord of the Rings kind of has worse effects than this. No, absolutely. Yeah, no. Oh, yeah, for sure. The effects in this have, like, not aged at all. Right? They're, like, really, really good. Um, I believed I was... I, I believed I was at sea. Um, yeah, and... I could taste the salt. You can't go wrong filming on the Galapagos, which is where they go. Um, I guess... I, I do feel like it, it tries to cover, like, a little too much ground. Like, it it never, for me, really keys in on, like, a central... Outside of, like, the pursuit of the ship, it never really keys in on a central sort of, like, conflict or theme. Outside of, like, Russell Crowe's, like, duty-bound and kind of prideful, and Paul Bettany is kind of like a reluctant soldier. Um, I'll wait for the siren to pass. And... And it never really keys in on those things, like, enough. And so I just, like, ah, oh, like, that kind of happened, and it just kind of ends, like, oh, yeah, like, you know. But it's, like, I, but at the same time, like, I could watch, like, naval war, war warfare all day. And, like, the beginning, when it shows, like, all the dudes, like, climbing, like, they're silhouetted, they're climbing down, like, the sails. So good. Um, Yeah. The like naval strategy parts are so mm. neat. Yeah, yeah. Um, when they when they play stick bug. Well, well, like well, there's the <laughs> first part stick. where they make like the fake boat to trick the French ship to chase them. Yeah. Um, and then there's when they play stick stick bug. <laughs> yeah. They pretend to be a like marooned whaler. Yeah, whaling vessels. Whaling. And the French. Yeah. Like. Go like, oh, we're gonna take you for a prize. But then see you, oh, surprise! That Russell Crowe! That French dude's accent was great. It's like, English weather! <laughs> it's like, we are going to take you! You cannot resist! <laughs> it was very exaggerated. Um, but that's how they talked back then. It's, <laughs> um, it's a very. It kind of. It reminds me a lot of Saving Private Ryan in that it's very it's like a very dad movie. Yeah. Um it's it's like this the like sense of humor that Russell Crowe's is very even like that is very dad to me. It's oh like, yeah, yeah. Our wives and our <laughs> our loved ones, may they never meet or whatever. Like, yeah, yeah. Um just like a joke that's like a thousand years. No, I, I know. It's, well, it's very like the lesser of two evils. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> he he thinks he's so funny. That, that, was, that was a good one. <laughs> I like the last um, And everyone's laughing, and Paul Bettany's just like, God damn it. <laughs> yeah. And I, I wish it kind of explored that dynamic a little more. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, but I think that's where this film sh- sort of shines, is like when he does, when Paul Bettany gets shot by the like Dick Cheney on the crew who thinks he's a bird. <laughs> but actually. Um... <laughs> Uh, and he's like, oh, we're going to the Galapagos, and, like, the Paul Bettany, like, wakes up, and yeah, the yeah. captain's, like, walking beside him, and they're on the Galapagos again, and he's like, oh, I'm here, and he's like, oh, well, you deserve a break, we're here, yeah. oh, we had to get food anyway. I had to stretch my legs. Yeah, um, it's very, like, there's parts of it that's, like, that's bros, you know? Yeah, no, no, <laughs> tight. It's, it's a great male bonding movie. It's such a good, I love a good male bonding movie. Me too. I, I like also... male bondage, Yeah. <laughs> I also love a good, like, 
naval movie, Mm -hmm. a movie about people on the seas. That's what I liked about Pirates of the Caribbean was just, like, the sea portion of it and the aesthetic and, like... This was released the same year as the first Pirates of the Caribbean. Was it really? Yeah. Wow. A high point for nautical (laughs) cinema. It was a high point for nautical cinema. I just, like, it blows my mind that people existed on those ships. Mm -hmm. And I just, like, watching it and figuring out, like, how they lived... Um, I enjoyed this movie. I didn't care about the storyline, I'm gonna be real. Um, but I enjoyed everything else about it. Yeah, this is based on, like, parts of, like, five different books. Yeah. So that's probably why the story is not super... Oh, I really like this, the plot. I, no, I don't like it. Yeah. It's not bad, I just think it's a little, like, it's a little... It, the plot feels like an excuse to just show cool naval shots, and I'm totally okay with yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I... I, I do love the pairing of Russell Crowe and Paul Bettany. Like they're great in everything together. Well, I that's the thing. In a beautiful mind, I was I was super mad to find Paul Bettany's like not real because um, I thought they they make a really good pair. Uh, I I just it's it's just like a lot. Of, like I don't know. Like because you have the whole thing with like the guy who thinks he's like Jonah, um, like from Jonah and the Whale. Like, yeah, who, which I think does. There's a really great moment where that sort of sequence begins with him looking into like him looking at his reflection in a barrel of water as he washes his hands and then it ends with him sinking to the bottom as he looks up from water mm-hmm. so it's like he kind of saw himself yeah, you know I know my I forgot the other half of my Saving Private Ryan part um it's like the only other movie we've watched that has like no women yeah other than Saving Private Ryan is there's like no female characters Aside from the woman, you see um, a woman at one point on the docks. Well, yeah, when they're coming out and they're like yeah. giving them like. Fruit but there's no, there are like no woman has like yeah first. I yeah, I don't think anyone has a, any wi- woman has a speaking line. Right. Um, thin, is, uh, yeah, not really thin red line, <laughs> which is not that is. It is what it is. It, 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 like I get that. Like I, I under, yeah. I'm not going to be like, oh, Hollywood should do better. Yeah. Like obviously, there's not going to be a yeah. woman on the ship. That's not how ships worked. And yeah, I just I think it's an interesting. It, that's why I think it's very similar to Saving Private Ryan. Yeah. It's a very like dad movie. There were some young boys who sounded like. Women. <laughs> um. Yeah, solid movie. Honestly, very yeah. very good. I'm cool. glad you agree that the effects are better than Lord of the Rings, too. Because, yeah. like, oh, amazing. Oh, great. Yes, they are very good. Uh, it was nominated for Best Visual Effects for editing, for costume design, for makeup, a one for cinematography, nominated for art direction, sound mixing, one sound editing. Peter Rivers nominated for Best Director, and it was nominated for Best Picture. Moving right along to Mystic River, directed by Clint Eastwood. Uh, written by Brian Halgeland and starring Sean Penn, Tim Robbins, Kevin Bacon, Lawrence Fishburne, Marsha Gay Harden, and Laura Linney. So when we were watching this, um, Kathleen got a little confused by the plot, so we paused and we were talking about it. And she was like, also, are they going to sing Moon River at any point? <laughs> she, didn't, she was a little confused as to what the, uh, what the title of this movie was. What did you think of this movie, though, Kathleen? This was... Which one was this Mystic River? It's the one with Sean Penn, Tim Robbins. With the girl Kevin who Bacon. gets killed. Yeah. Yes. Um Is that my daughter in there? That's a great scene, that's what I think. <laughs> Is that my daughter in there? <laughs> um so 
extra. I'm getting it mentally confused with that other movie about the boy who got kidnapped as a child. It's the same one. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> yes, it begins. He got molested. Oh, I, I, I did. I didn't explain yeah. the plot to this. Whoa, Mike. okay. Because hold on, Michael told us the plot, <laughs> and then we start this movie, and it hits you right there. <laughs> so yes. Jimmy Markham, Sean Devine, and Dave Boyle, childhood friends in 1970s Boston, are playing like hockey on the street. Um, they something happens, and this guy gets out of a car. He's like, "I'm a cop. You broke some law. I have to take one of you to the station." Um, <laughs> How crimes work. They, they they pick they pick this kid Dave. They put him in the back of the car. They drive away. Um, turns out they were not policemen. They were pedophiles. From the Catholic Church. I I think one of them was a priest. He was. He was, or he was, yeah. Yes. No, he was. <laughs> or he could have just been, like, dressed like one. Maybe he was, like, maybe, I don't know, like, maybe their plays, one's a cop, one's a priest, but they're not really either. No, but he, he is a priest. Unless he shows the ring, and then he kills uh, a priest right. at the end of the, sorry. He doesn't kill a priest. Does he kill a priest? He, he, no, it's a pedophile. It's not, they don't say it's a priest, though. No, but, yeah, they do. It's like a, it is. It's like a, a priest who he kills. That. I, I think you're wrong. Think I'll Google it. You keep talking, Michael. So the other guy definitely is a priest. I don't think the guy he kills is a priest. We're getting ahead of ourselves, basically. Um, so kid gets kidnapped. He's locked in a basement. Um, fast forward like 20-ish year, 20, 30 years later. and He gets out of the basement. He gets out of the basement. Before the 20, 30 years. Yeah. Um, fast forward a couple years later, and these guys are all grown up. They're living in Boston still. Um, Kevin Bacon's character, who is Sean, is, is a state police officer. Jimmy's an ex-con, who, played by Sean Penn, who owns like a convenience store. Dave Will is this sort of like intermittently employed drifter. Kind of, not a drifter, but he's like, you know, mm-hmm. he's, he's not very well employed. He's, he's unfairly seen as kind of a weirdo. Yeah. Um, and what happens is that Sean Penn's daughter is killed, and... Kevin Bacon is investigating the case, and they suspect um, that it is that the crime was committed by Tim Robbins because he was taking revenge on uh, Kevin Bacon and Sean Penn for abandoning him when he was a kid. And the movie is about Sean Penn dealing with the grief of losing his daughter and then trying to figure out who did it. Kevin Bacon's also trying to figure out who did it, and then kind of the weird stuff that's happening to Tim Robbins and the, the, the suspicions surrounding him. So what did you think of this movie, Kathleen? Um, I was confused by it, mostly. <laughs> Clearly. Um, <laughs> it was very plot-heavy, and as we have covered many times, I'm not good at the plots. Um, but I thought it was interesting. And, like, the kind of disappointing thing is I think that, like, after a while you could, like, call the ending, because it's like we're not going to be watching, like, three hours of this if there's not going to be some twist at the end. But at the same time, I still wasn't necessarily convinced that I could call the ending. So I wanted to find it. Like, I was, it hooked me. It just confused me. That's all I got. I don't feel like there was enough of a discussion about, like, I don't know if it, there needed to be. But, like, I thought it would be more interesting if there was more of a discussion about, like, why he was such a prime suspect. And, like, every regard, like, yes, revenge, but also the things that, like, the trauma that he went through. Mm. And, like, there was never any discussion about, like, how that was treated. I'm going to assume it wasn't treated at all. Mm. Um, So it would have been, like, yet he was married and had a kid. So, like, there was some functionality, right? Yeah. Um, And, like, his wife seemed to trust him up until she stopped. Like, you know, so it wasn't, like, a... It was, was like, I don't know. I wish there was a conversation that 
was not had. I get that. And then they, they like Lawrence Fishburne, he's like, look, he's like a guy who suffered a sexual assault. He's, you know, on and off again employed. Um, like, the, the shoe fits. Like, yeah. this is the kind of guy who commits those crimes. And the movie is about jumping to that conclusion. Yeah. Because the twist at the end is, and this movie has been out for 16 years, I'm going to spoil it. The twist is that he didn't do it. Like, he didn't do it. That he, he didn't. He did kill another guy. Um, but that, in fact, the girl was killed by her boyfriend's brother. Oh, yeah, that was yeah. weird. Um, He's like brother and friend. friend. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, it's like... It's like I don't wh- like which, twist. I, it, it, it's I kind of like it. I don't... I mean, it, it, you don't have the movie without it. Yeah. yeah. Um, what, 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 like, yeah, what, one that does, it feels like there's that movie, The Mist, that, like, Stephen King movie, mm-hmm. where it's, like, there's the mists of, like, and the mists of the bugs that, like, kill people. Ooh. And so there's, like, a, a part at the end, I haven't seen this movie, just described to me, but there's a part at the end where it's, like, they're all, like, everyone's kind of abandoned and the mist is, like, coming towards them. And this one guy mm-hmm. is, like, I'm going to save everyone else and kill them all before the mist comes so they're not tortured by, like, dying by the bugs. And he kills them all, but then, like, the police come and like, oh, we figured it out, you're safe now. And it's like, bump, it's just, like, kind of like a big womp womp kind of ending, because it's like, oh, no, he did the thing he didn't have to do, that's so such a bummer, like, that's kind of how this movie is. But it's a really, it's really well made. Like, it's a, re- it's a really well made version is, of that. Yeah. Um, it's a very similar tone to, this is also the reason I'm having trouble, con- like, having conversation about it now, because to me it's a similar tone to the one with the lobsters. In the bedroom. Yeah. No, yeah, it's super similar. It, it's yeah. It's sad people in New England, which was kind of a thing during the 2000s yeah. and still a little bit is. So it's just like, I can't separate them, mm-hmm. honestly. Yeah. yeah. This one was just it, Sans Lobster. It reminds me a lot of that one. Yeah. Um, I honestly don't have a ton to add. I, I agree. Um, I think it was, I like did not expect to like this as much as I did because <laughs> I think this was the biggest surprise for me. Yeah. Um, and it's what's convinced me that this was like one of the better years. Yeah. For sure. Um, he's like, Michael described this. And I was like, oh, God. I, but which, then it like turned out to be suit. And it was like, but it was, and it's like long. And I was like, ah, long. Hmm. Ah. Uh, but it was like super good. And it's like, an, an, and Clint Eastwood, obviously the director. Mm. Um, great director. Mm. But I didn't like, it was good. Yeah. I. Yes, it, I feel like it's always talked about as like an overrated movie, um, hmm. but and I, I get why. Like there are parts where like this is not perfect. Like I, like Sean Penn, he's acting at like an eleven, like <laughs> not eleven as in like oh he's that good. Even though he's good in this and he did win the Oscar, like eleven as in like he's doing a lot. <laughs> he's feeling a lot of feelings. He's very intense. He's very upset. And everyone else is hovering around like an eight or nine. His daughter's dead. Uh, his daughter is dead. <laughs> is that his daughter in there? Is that his daughter? Spoiler, um, spoiler it's like, it. I sound like Eliza Minnelli when I do that. <laughs> is that my daughter? <laughs> it um, is like, even if my daughter died, I would keep it a little chill. Yeah, like, right. you know, like, yeah. he's just like... Because Lars <laughs> like children. But, but, but it's it sort of like, it does make sense because, like, he's an ex-con, so he's sort of a suspect. And it's like, did his did his past criminal lives have something to do with that um and it's it's a lot about how sort of like you know the past does inform the present um which is not always to me the most compelling uh narrative narrative but it works um and uh 
And, like, there, there's a thing, too, where it's, it's, it's very, you know, like, I can't tell if shot like if they're trying to make Sean Penn look cool cuz it's a lot of like superficial like 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 like, like white trash like like Boston cool guy stuff like he's got like huge biceps <laughs> he's got like some like gnarly like barbed wire tattoos he has these ridiculous wraparound shades um and he's got like these two dudes who are just like hey he's got these like two dudes he like has like a little gang with who like yeah. they kind of like do what he says they like when during the crimes, he's like, "Go, go, find out, find whoever," and they just like run away. Um, so it's a lot of like, and he, he like the end. He's wearing this like really long leather jacket, which does look kind of cool on him. But at the same time, it's just like this is what like you know a sixteen year old in two thousand three would think is really cool. But that's also a great. Like, and the ending's also kind of like it should have ended when he is wearing the leather jacket and he's like getting drunk on the street. Like, Kevin being like, "Hey, we found your daughter's killer," and he's like, "Oh crap, I killed the wrong guy." He just kind of walks away, like, dazed. But then there's this whole parade sequence, and this really terrible monologue from Laura Linney, who plays Sean Penn's wife. Oh, that that part's weird. weird. Oh, I forgot about that. Uncomfortable. And she, like, gets, like, over him. She's, like, hugging him. And, like, straddles him, and he's, like, tells him he's a king or whatever. Yeah. Oh, God, I don't like it. (laughs) So, yeah. It's, uh, it's real weird. Um, but (laughs) this is a good, like, I was, I was... It overcomes those things by just being well made. Like there's, what like Kevin Bacon's wife is out of town and kind of on, not like you know, kind of she's kind of left him. And like the scenes where she calls him and doesn't say oh. anything are like really like yeah, it, where it's just sort of like a close up of like her mouth and you can hear like the city behind her. Like that's really well done. Um, yeah, the scene at at the, when they get uh, Tim Robbins real drunk and they drag him out to the river is like really like heart pounding and intense. Um, There's a lot of tension. Yeah, yeah. Sort of retention. So yeah, good <laughs> flawed, but but still, I think quite a good movie. Uh, was nominated for adapted screenplay. Marsha Gay Harden, who's also at kind of an eleven, is nominated for best supporting actress. Tim Robbins won supporting actor. Sean Penn won best actor. Clint Eastwood was nominated for best director, hmm. and this was nominated for best picture. Who are you surprised at? That Clint Eastwood was nominated. Yeah. Because I feel like this is one of his that no one really... Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's not his best, but, you know. Yeah. Last, but certainly not least, time I for mean, a is lot... Isn't it, though? <laughs> <laughs> it is least. Seabiscuit. Directed by Gary Ross. Screenplay by Gary Ross. Based on the book, Seabiscuit, an American legend by Lauren Hillebrand. Starring Toby Maguire, Jeff Bridges, Chris Cooper, Elizabeth Banks, Gary Stevens, William H. Macy... Movie... That criminal. <laughs> yes, that crook. <laughs> Movie about three... Horses. Three sort of lost <laughs> souls, right? You have Jeff Bridges' character, this rich guy whose son dies in a car accident. You're counting Who's the, the second lost the character. The second is Chris Cooper, who is just kind of like this guy who likes to talk to horses more than people. Um, and the third is Toby The horse! Yes! Yeah. <laughs> well, really, four lost souls. The third is Toby Maguire, who's this guy who's, like, too big to be a jockey, who kind of was, like, basically sold by God, his parents. He's a boy. No, he wasn't sold by his parents. He, he was in a better life. Like, during the Depression, he was, yeah, sort of sent by his parents to live with a, with a guy who went to stable. A quarter of the American public was unemployed, Michael. It's, yes. <laughs> Desperate times. He was technically Canadian. Anyway, um, and then they, they all they all find themselves working with this undersized source named Seabiscuit and turn him into an American phenomenon. 
Um, he wins a bunch of races. Um, he gets injured. He comes back from his injury. It's a great story. <laughs> they call him Biscuit sometimes. Yeah, the Biscuit. Um, <laughs> yes, Captain? <laughs> I... I I didn't see Because its mother's name was Hardtack. Yeah, father's name was Hardtack. Father's name was Hardtack. Anyway, <laughs> Lars, um, I arranged for a special surprise visit from Seabiscuit himself. Um, I don't know, man. It's not bad. It's not. It's just weird. <laughs> There's a part where he definitely wants to fuck the horse. I didn't say it. Oh, I did say it. I'm gonna, uh, that's my rumor I'm starting. There's a lot of weird stuff. That's... No, um... Um, like... Because Elizabeth Banks is in this, and, yeah. like, is supposed to be with um, Obadiah Stane. Jeff, Jeff Bridges. Bridges. She also plays, like, a Mexican-American. Which is also... This, this is the weird fact I oh, had. Okay. So, in real life, because it's based on a true story... Um, oh, a legend, really. So, <laughs> in real life, Jeff Bridges had more than one kid, and his eldest son was married to Elizabeth Banks' <laughs> character's sister, oh. and Jeff Bridges ended up marrying his son's wife's sister. Wait, what? What? Go back. So, Jeff Bridges had a son. Yes. Not real life Jeff Bridges, the character. His big oh! Play, Charles oh. Howard. Yeah. Okay, I thought he married... Wait, go back anyway, because I want to hear So, the again. character Charles Howard, yeah. in real life, had a son. Yes. Who married this woman named Anita. Okay. Anita. Anita had a sister. Yeah. And after Charles Howard was divorced, he married the sister Marcella. He was brother in laws with his son. That's weird. Right. Is that legal? Oh, that yeah. part's real. Yes. Oh. oh. And then he fucks a horse. <laughs> that doesn't <laughs> it's it's not pictured, but it's implied. Um when does Pumpkin get her movie? Pumpkin is Seabiscuit's wife. His comfort his, horse. His wife. They're married. It was consummated he's, before he's God. He's the horse who they have hang out with Seabiscuit so he calms down. Oh, yeah. Hangs <laughs> out so he calms down. Yeah, I don't know. I okay. Know, to be, I didn't know who Pumpkin was until the last five minutes of the movie. <laughs> Study history, Kathleen. God. The book is pretty good. I had to read it for a class. I, I feel like I would read Did the book. Did it talk about Pumpkin? The, the author, the author was or currently is married to a, an AU professor. Is married to Elizabeth Holmes. No. I mean Elizabeth Banks. <laughs> this is character's sister. Right. Um. Okay. Anyway, there's there's not actually a lot wrong that I have to say. Yeah. There's just not a lot right. This is really just like. A three, three and a half star movie. Yeah, it's just a movie about a horse. Yeah, it's, it's a very, like, okay. It, it's a pretty prototypical inspirational sports movie. Yeah. It is. Um, I think it's a nice story. I think it's it's sort of heartwarming. I think the relationship between the two jockeys, Toby McGuire and Gary Stevens, is nice. And the horse. And the horse. Um, <laughs> what was Gary Stevens' horse's name? I, he rides a bunch of them. He rides he's the guy who rides Sea Biscuit against War Sea Triscuit. War 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 guy. Because it's, it's no, it's it's War. It's definitely War Admiral. It's like they try to organize the race against like War Admiral. War like Merle. Yes, same with a horse. <laughs> That's so extra. Horses got weird names. Um, what did you guys say you would name your horses again? That's that's off topic. We I forgot what we were running out of time anyway. Um, 
What, what I, so what one thing where I'm like, this is a problem I have. Land with biscuit. <laughs> <laughs> the problem I have with this movie is the voiceover, which is terrible. Who which, does the voiceover? I don't know who does it. The voice is fine, but it 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 just it just draws is very. It just it it it, it it's just so cheesy. Where where it, it's like oh you know. Um, or they're talking... Because it does do cool things, this movie, with, like, archival photos and, like, audio. Like, when they shoot the gun off for the race between Seabiscuit and War Admiral. Like, no, no, like, the gun goes off, and then it fades out to pictures of people listening to the race, and you hear the radio broadcast. Yeah. And then it goes, cuts to the race. Um, what war did he fight in? <laughs> <laughs> there, there's a cool moment with, like, a photo finish where it's, like... They reach the finish line, then there's like a flash, and the, the picture develops in front of you. And you hear people go, aw, because he, lo- he loses. Anyway. Um, oh, yeah. That but, part was good. But, but, the, but the voiceover, where it's just like, it's like, it was, it was like, it had many names. It was like, you know, like, the WPA, the TVA, just listing all like the great, the, like the, <laughs> the New Deal agencies. Yeah. And he's like, but most of all, the thing called Hope. It's like the idea. <laughs> what? Yeah. It's like, and it's just like, oh my god! Like we get it, dude. Like he inspired a nation. It was a horse. Like yes, he's like an under, he's a great American underdog who's inspiring a nation. We get it. We don't need this like really cheesy like like that ruins the movie. And then there's another voiceover at the end, like the end when it's like the last race for Seabiscuit and Tobey Maguire, and it's like it ends with Tobey Maguire like voiceovering, being like, oh, like he believed me, believed in me, I believed in him, blah blah blah. And then it fades out, which is just like incongruous to have two separate voiceovers. Yeah. It's very frustrating. The first voiceover confused me because I thought it was supposed to be a character. And then when I learned that it probably wasn't, I was like, who is Yeah. Who is here? And he starts off like it talks about like the the invention, like the automobile and how important it is and blah blah blah. Um, not as important as the horse. No, I guess not. I guess not. Well that's the point, is you know, it's because Jeff Bridges owns owns an automobile dealership, and then it kills his son. Yeah, yeah, it's dark. We're running out of time. Any anything else to say about Sea Biscuit? No. No. Okay. <laughs> it was nominated for editing, which I think it deserved. Costume design, cinematography, art direction, sound mixing, adapted screenplay, and picture. You know, I would, I, I agree, agree with all that. It won nothing. Uh, Take that, you dumb horse. Well, yeah, from a technical (laughs) perspective, they had to shoot actual horse races. Yeah, it was good. The costumes Um, were good. Everything was good. The effects were actually good. I believe that. It it, it looks good. It looks fine. It just just dragged down by this goopy sort of sugariness. Um, Yes. The year is now 2004. You are a voting member of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. You get a ballot that has Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King, Lost in Translation, Master Command of the Far Side of the World, Mystic River and Seabiscuit listed. How do you vote? Well, you say, Michael. You go first. Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. It's it's an absolute epic. Um, it, I love the themes. I love I love the, the I love how it ends, even though it's too long. I it just it's just peak movie magic. I love Lost in Translation. I really like Mystic River. I really like Master and Commander. And he loves Seabiscuit. To me, like. It, it just it just feels like a tremendous accomplishment, and maybe some of that is sort of like them making me feel that, like trying like trying to engineer that feeling. But it works for me. Kathleen, Master and Commander. Ah, I love a good shit movie. I love good bromance, and I love a good effects. And I just thought it was like a movie that we don't get to see that often because um, we have many a war movie, but I feel that we don't have many of like a, this kind of war movie. 
Mm-hmm. Wall movie. So, I'm kind of Wall horse. <laughs> Wall horse was nominated for Best Picture. It was. <laughs> but we're going to watch it eventually, right? Another thing I love about Seabiscuit <laughs> is, is no, yes. I do like the old-timey dialogue. Where, where Tom McGuire later goes, like, I'm going to knock that guy's block off. Like, that's an <laughs> earnest thing he says. Like, that's fabulous. Anyway, Lars, what did you have to uh, Hands down, Lost in Translation. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to s- actually say <laughs> Master and Commander is my second. Yeah. Lord of the Rings is my third. I expected, like, easily to give this to Lord of the Rings. Um, Lost in Translation definitely takes it home. I think it's, like, the most unique... I think it's unique for a Best Picture winner in that it's, like, quiet, it's understated, and it's, like, it deserves its place mm-hmm. in the canon. Cool. cool. Right? I, yeah, I have, you know, four movies I really liked. I think this might be my favorite year. I I, I, it's like, I actually too, think yeah. 94, like, I don't actually love Forrest Gump or one of yeah. the other ones. Of of the combined two years, Forrest Gump is the least of all the movies. I like, I'd put Seabiscuit right. ahead of Forrest Gump. <laughs> I think. One was an American hero. <laughs> yeah, the other was... <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, the horse version of Forrest Gump. I need to see that. Um, we can do it. We okay. can make that. Real quick, Lars, or Kathleen, but you don't often have an answer for this. Any movies okay. from this year you, you would nominate? Yes. I would nominate Kill Bill. Yes, I agree. Oh, yes! Yeah. Excuse me. <laughs> um, I said it first. I nominated it. Um, bad Santa. Just kidding. Um, um, I would not nominate Big Fish, but I think it's good. I think it and Sea Biscuit are about the same level. But Big right. Fish has more of an emotional response. Mm-hmm. Um, I get Finding Nemo. I just don't think it's like up there. And I. I mean, the room. <laughs> so, for sure, um, Kill Bill, uh, Old Boy, which may have been eligible the next year because the international release is usually like a year in delay. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a messed up movie as far as relationships go, but I won't spoil that ending. Um, mm-hmm. You've seen it, right? I have not seen it. It's really good. Um, uh, City of God had the U.S. release this year. I talked about it last time. Really good Brazilian movie. Mm. Um you could make an argument for Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl. I would not. It, it, in a 10-nominee <laughs> year, it would get one. Um, and then Finding Nemo. And just just, just, to, just to talk about how much I love this movie, X2 X-Men United oh my came God. out this year. <laughs> By no means the best picture movie. I still love it. Um, right. <laughs> Next year, we will be doing the movies from 2004. Um, and those are... Uh, they're not in front of me. Hold on, hold on. They are The Aviator. Yes. Um, I'm doing this all from memory right now. Hold on. The Aviator, Finding Neverland, Million Dollar Baby, Ray, and Sideways. Um, thanks so much for listening to the Real Life Oscar Challenge. What, Kathleen? I don't think I've seen any of it. I've only seen The Aviator. Uh, you can find me on Letterboxd, Samara Mike, Twitter, at Levito. Read us all on The Post Rider. Oh, I'm the Lars. Um, you can find me at Lars Emerson. On Letterboxd. I'm the Kathleen, and you can find me at Rise to the Sun on Instagram. Kathleen and I host a different podcast too called A Thing Like That Mad Men Podcast. We do every episode of Mad Men. We fall in behind. And I host my own pod. I don't. I, I, I don't do that. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll figure out another one for yeah. you, Lars. Um, Lars whispers seductively into the microphone. <laughs> episode one. <laughs> <laughs>
But thanks for <laughs> thanks so much for listening. Um, hope you enjoyed it. 2003, what a year. Stay fly.